understand that like don't go into those spaces seeking belonging right know that you belong Mm. regardless of what these people say know that you belong there and then do what you got to do for you hey everyone and welcome back to oh that girl reads i am that girl and i'm with Mare, one of my favorite people on the planet. They have no idea. <laughs> Mare, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, every time I have to do an introduction, I'm like, who am I really? Um, so my name is Mare. Oh, no. My pronouns are they, she. I'm a fat, black, femme, sensitive being. I write by choice and by force. <laughs> For career and pleasure. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I love the travel. I love chocolate, chunky things, not flavored things, and oatmeal lattes. That's what I got. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you have mm-hmm. been traveling. You've told me all the places you've been traveling to lately. Do you want to share where you've gone? What's been your favorite place so far? Uh, I mean, I'm in my like travel rest era right now. I'm in my settling in era, which has been a really interesting transition after being so nomadic. Um, but I've been a few places. I've crossed country a few times around the United States. Um, I've been to Mexico a few times. I've been to Bermuda. I've been to Portugal and Turkey. Um, and Costa Rica, that was also a really fun trip. I forgot about that. Uh, my oh favorite my place? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say favorite, um, but I feel like Portugal was super transformative, like just that time that I went um, because I, you know, like everybody was going through it in 2020 for sure. Um, but 2021 was actually the period where I was like, okay, I'm done with the way I've been doing things. I didn't have a plan and I'm a Virgo. So let's just be for real. I like having a plan. I like being organized. I was hustling so hard. I always had like three jobs. People used to always make fun of me. I always had a plan B, plan C. Um, but in 2021, I was just burnt out from nonprofit work and, I saved up as much as I could and I quit my job. I sold all my stuff. I got in a car and then eventually I got in a plane and I stayed in a small beach town. And uh, yeah, I just kind of eat, prayed, loved in this beach town for a little bit and really reconnected with myself and like um, my trust in in divinity, honestly. I was very lost and I had to just trust that something was coming for me and I had made the room for it. So when I think about Portugal, I think about that. So probably my favorite time. That's freaking beautiful. I need to get on my Virgo (laughs) shit if that's going to be the result. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if that's Virgo so much as like healthily dealing with burnout once I experience it. (laughs) I literally read your article that we're gonna go over almost ever Mm -hmm. since you released it i've at least read it like once a month i like refer back to it (laughs) all the time so like yes so tell me about like your writing journey like you're doing writing now 
Mm-hmm. How is that? Oof. I mean, like any writer would say, I've been writing my whole life, but um, I have. <laughs> I really have. I've always been kind of like a shy. I wouldn't even say I was shy. I think I was a quiet kid and people interpreted that as shy. Um, but I prefer to be observant. And I think most writers are observers before they're anything, right? They're taking in information. They're looking at how people relate to one another. Um, and I used to always love storytelling um, as a kid because I just found that as a means of escape from, you know, whatever was going on in my childhood to some degrees and just it allowed me to travel before I had the autonomy or the capacity to understand what travel would mean. And so I kind of did that for a while. And when I got to college, I went in initially for graphic design, hated art school, and then switched my major to English. And everyone thought I was going to be a teacher. I considered being a teacher for a while. Um, But I focused on writing for business and industry and writing for creative uh, writing like for poetry. Um, so yeah, I've always turned towards poetry and writing in that way, but I never thought I would make it into a career. I got told all the things that artists get told that that's not a real job, that no one's going to pay you for that, that if you're going to do something, study something so impractical, you're going to have to like be a starving artist or, you know, just not have that dream at all. And I kind of found a happy medium in communications. And so a lot of my work teeters between communications work, like marketing, copywriting, creative copywriting. Um, I do a lot of interviews with influential people uh, that I'm really passionate about and really adore. And I also have still my creative writing process in terms of long form writing. I did... um, Baldwin for the Arts, I ended up getting a writing fellowship with them and spent some time in upstate New York working yes. on poetry. And that felt, you know, incredible. So if you're a writer and you're struggling, keep your dream. You can do things, you know, you just got to market Literally. yourself the right way. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the hardest part for artists too is, um, I guess, like forming that grit of like not listening to the evil people that are just like floating around in your head. And it's like, I not that they're evil, but I think they're being like well-meaning, but it is an evil force that kind of influences like your mental process on your work and like building that fortitude. So definitely keep going, keep trying, keep shooting for yes. the stars. I mean, artists, artists are always outside of the box. That's why you're an artist, right? And so like exactly. people are going to question you because- they don't understand that there's something else out there, you know, like you're fighting against the, I I mean, I don't want to say like the matrix or whatever, like I'm not trying to get into a deep conspiracy theory, but like capitalism is a machine. It's a machine because people are on a conveyor belt. They're not thinking about anything other than the next step that they've been told they have to take. And artists start looking over. Artists are like stepping off the conveyor belt. Artists are like looking at the ceiling and wondering like, why am I on this thing? They're questioning. So of course people are going to be like, why are you getting in line? Like, why are you not in line? Right? And it it makes you a target for that criticism because you make people uncomfortable because they start wondering, why am I not questioning it? Why am I not? And, you know, insecure people breathe that type of energy for real, for real. So do you. Yeah. Weirdly enough, that's actually why I had to like get out of art school. (laughs) 
was mm-hmm. because like I had just like those um those just voices around me that were just in those were supposed to be the voices that were supposedly supposed to be encouraging me throughout this process was doing the exact opposite and you know and then on top of that navigating that space as like the one of two black women in the program was very very difficult and oh yes they don't want us in spaces they do not want us to exist and that's the other thing you can be in I mean, God, this is like a whole other, this is a rant that that is with this, but like capitalism breeds, this is why we have to really work with these systems because capitalism breeds that classism and it breeds that scarcity and people become competitive instead of collaborative, even in creative spaces. And it's because they think that you're going to take up too much space and that somehow it's going to take from them. And also- mm-hmm especially when you include the intersections of identity, when you come in being black, when you come in being woman, being femme presenting in any capacity, people are even more threatened because they're surprised you made it through the door. Like you're not even supposed to be here. So if you made it through all of that, and then on top of that, you're sticking around. And then on top of that, you're talented. They're like, Oh no, it's too much. (laughs) You know, like it really people get overwhelmed by like your sheer presence, let alone your talent, your brilliance, your resilience. All of that is threatening because they have it so easy and still are struggling to create. So they know that you have all these obstacles and you are still showing up. Nah, they can't admire it. They have it's a threat. It's a threat. And so like even in those spaces, yes, do what's best for you. Remove yourself if it's really not helping you be who you are and not shaping you into the character that you want to have, but also understand that like, don't go into those spaces seeking belonging, right? Know that you belong, Mm. regardless of what these people say, know that you belong there and then do what you got to do for you and let it be fuel. Let the haters be fuel, honestly. Exactly. That is so true too. And I think, and I think if you're already in those spaces as well, like just kind of help be an anchor to the people who are like you is also super important because I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did if it were not for like the other black woman in that program. She was like, listen, please, you're doing okay. You got this. <laughs> like, I want to see you get your, I want to see you get your degree. It's okay. And I'm like, how am I supposed to like have it was to the point where I was like, oh, because I was right making work around like blackness and femininity and sexuality. None of those professors knew what I was talking about. None of them knew what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it was to the point where she was like, it's okay. By the time you're ready to choose your committee, I will have my MFA and I'll be able to be on your committee. Like that's like Period. how bad it was to like a certain point, but like also like how supportive it was. So, I mean- being that anchor is super important but yeah we i love the way we have conversations it just bounces all over. <laughs> no <laughs> super no, unexpected but it's so good but i'm really interested in um your article when did you write that you wrote that in 2020 was that around 2020 or 2019 oh, babes. you're gonna remember more than me <laughs> Was it 2020? Probably because I read it every two seconds. 
I know it's it's giving 2020. It's giving 2020, 2021 ish. We'll go with that. <laughs> so, what made you kind of sit down and like put pen to paper to these thoughts? Because I'm sure, like, just with the topic at hand, it's probably something that has been bouncing back and forth in your head for a while. Mm, well, that was I worked when I wrote that article, I was at the end of my career at a specific nonprofit. And my experience at that nonprofit was on paper, they looked very diverse. And there was a lot of black women on the leadership team, which I was really excited about. Um, But it really highlighted kind of what you were saying in terms of like, yes, these are thoughts that I've always have ruminated on, have always like recognized in myself. Um, but when I talked about black womanhood, uh, being this double-edged sword, it was because my experience in that space was my blackness and my womanhood was not seen through an intersectional lens. And I could not relate to the black women in that space because they were either queer phobic or they really stood behind the white feminist kind of ideology that stifles us as a community. And I had a really hard time advocating because I spent a lot of time advocating for those black women in that space and they were not offering me back the same support and energy um, when I was experiencing harm in the workplace. And so I was really disappointed and while I empathize because I understand that we are under constant attack and like that puts people into survival mode, the solidarity simply was not there. And it really made me think a lot about how black women, specifically black cis women, when I'm speaking about this, oftentimes align themselves with white supremacy um, as a means of survival without recognizing it the same way black men, uh, black cis men do in a lot of instances. Um, and obviously I hold black women to a gold standard because these are the people I identify with. These are the people who have led me, um, inspired me, continue to inspire me and are the anchors of our liberation and our communion, right. As, as a people, um, Mm -hmm. And so it's less of a, I hope it wasn't coming off as a criticism, but maybe uh, a melancholy love letter to the experience of being a Black woman in this world. Um, So yeah, that kind of inspired it, just wishing and wanting that solidarity as a queer person, um, as a fat person, as a non-binary person from the people that I love and admire. Yeah, I don't, for me personally... Um, I don't think it came off as a criticism at all. Okay. And I, I feel like I Good. just, <laughs> I feel like it brings up these like really valid points too. Um, and it, it made me refer back to this other article that I read. I think I was an undergrad and I think it was, um, the first time I was, being more introduced to like more like LGBT topics, you know, especially I think at the time um, about like being transgender. And I 
this article was basically talking about how like the word woman doesn't really um fully grasp the experience of like being a woman <laughs> it, it only focuses yeah. on this like cis white you know woman view of like what being a woman is and so i personally like me growing up around like a lot of white people i've never really felt the experiences of being a woman very much so like i was talking to my mom about it and i was like my first experience in identity was learning that i was black my second experience was learning that i was a girl and then my third experience was learning that i was a black girl so like all of them were very separate identities that then came together to make my identity i guess and so mm -hmm. I felt like, I feel like maybe a lot more women would actually understand where you're coming from, or more Black women would understand where you're coming from than feel the attack. But I maybe if they're feeling the attack, they're in that position where it's like you're grasping on to like achieving femininity. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a word. <laughs> I mean, yes, have you on the yes. I mean, and this is what I want Black people to be more critical of. Like, you know, you're trying to fit into boxes that weren't made for us. Like, those bo boxes were specifically made to exclude us. Like, there was a time where Black people weren't even considered people. And so when we try to, like, create connection to things like womanhood to a point where we're being transphobic, we're being queerphobic, we're being fatphobic, I'm like, these things did not include us. The definition of these things do not consider us in them. Like you said, it's made for white, cis, hetero, you know, straight-sized people. Like, it's like so specific to a, a, a group that had the power in order to create the language that, we, that dictates everything that we do. And so when I see Black women clinging on to Black womanhood through a physicality, right? Like a lot of the transphobia that comes up is like, I'm a black woman because I can birth and I can, like, it's the same rhetoric, the same like unhelpful rhetoric. And I'm like, those things don't even include, like, why does that even matter? Black womanhood is an experience that we have because it's mirrored back to us. Like we're being told by the world that we are black women. Like the world is telling us we are already a different breed. Right. And we are yes. taking that and reclaiming it as like, hell yeah, we're a different breed. Right. We're not like you. So that energy exactly. like has to translate positively. So when we lose it by trying to be, you know, like white people or trying to be like the oppressor, I just think that's really strange, you know, and I'm glad you felt empowered by it because I think a lot of people will focus on the queerness as opposed to understanding that I'm just talking about us having a black experience that is separate mm -hmm. from mainstream, you know, and we yeah. shouldn't align ourselves with that. Exactly. And it also made me reflect on something. Um, Cause for those of you who don't know, at, at one time we were both boudoir photographers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it made, <laughs> that was a time. That was a time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's another episode <laughs> yeah that is 
that's a whole thing that we could get into. Wow, they don't even know. That was an interesting space. That was mm-hmm. a that was an interesting space to navigate, I will say. Um, but you know, part of that space was actually um, I guess using your identity to, you know, boost up your sales. And so um I I wrote this kind of article for my website where I was talking about um, you know, my experience doing my own boudoir shoot and part of that experience was exiting a really painful breakup with um, a male partner. And in it, I wrote about how in this relationship, it was the first time I felt like being feminine wasn't a costume. And Mm. I, and in comparison to like what you wrote and what I wrote, it made me think about like, why was it again that I needed this, this outside influence to reflect back like the the um the validity of my mm-hmm. womanhood you know like why did i need this like man to give me the stamp of approval for me to be a woman and now i just i don't really exist like that which thank god but like it it just really did make me think about that and how like a lot of i mean i don't know if a lot of women have that experience but i feel like maybe they do or they could oh i think so i i think a lot of women do like they seek out especially when it comes to i mean and and that's okay i really want to like express that it's okay that we seek out external validation because we are trained to do that right i don't want to be one of these hokey pokey people that are like everything comes from within it's not true and I think a lot of that yeah. uh, individualism is toxic too. We need community. We need people who reflect us back. Like we need mirrors in our lives and we need reassurance and affirmation and we need to be validated by people who actually see us, right? And that's the key difference. People who actually see us and care for us and want us to do well, we do want their validation. Um, and that's mm-hmm. totally healthy. Uh, but I think... It's because, especially when it comes to men validating our femininity, that's perfect math in terms of society, right? Because it's a man who's supposed to lead and it's a man who's supposed to like, if a man doesn't want us, it means we're not being womanly enough to attract one, you know, like that's what we've been taught. So it makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. that you would want this man to give you like some validity around your femininity. For me, being able to be non-binary and like allow my, to queer up my own identity and womanhood has really freed me to define what femininity even is when I'm not talking about my body, right? When I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about femininity as something that is physical and even tangible, but like as an energy, as a unlimited resource, as something that is refined in me and empowering for me, like, but also still very soft. And I feel like that, um, for me personally, as a person who was socialized as a Black girl, I was not trained to be soft. I was not trained to expect softness. I was not trained to demand it to desire it like there was always this kind of like I gotta be a rough 
there was this like heavy sense of like, you got to do it by yourself. You got to expect people to treat you wrong. You know, what do they call it? Like that, that struggle love is a part of black love and like all these things that like, no. And that's why I love this like trend of soft girl era love a girl era and seeing all the black women and femmes show up and say, Oh no, I want soft life. I want to sit here and get my feet done. I want somebody to rub my back and that shouldn't be revolutionary. That should be the standard, but it is revolutionary for us, especially to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. To even like vocalize that you have the desire is like super impactful. And I think, what was that one movement? It was like the, it was like something to do with rest. I forgot what it was called, but like, that was like really huge too, where it was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, like we all need naps or so, it was something like that, <laughs> something in regards to sleep. <laughs> okay. You I got mean, me. I nap all the time. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> yes. I wonder if you're going to ask me what I've recently read and I Okay, rest is resistance. Um, a yes. manifesto by I never say her last name right, but Trisha Hersey. Hersey, Hersey. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so bad at names. She is the founder of the Nat Ministry. Um, and yeah, if you don't know what the Nat Ministry is, go on and follow the Nat Ministry. I do want to say with this in respect to Trisha's work. She is very, very clear that this is not trendy, that this is work of liberation and it is not to be seen as something that is like, just take a bubble bath and be done with it. Um, I, I'm so glad I, I, I read this book and had a chance to sit with um, her ministry and I'm not religious at all. Uh, she is, but I'm not religious at all. So just to warn you around language that is being used, if that is something that is triggering for you. Um, but Trisha does a great job of extracting um, what it actually means for us to rest as a community of people and disrupt systems by resting. And I think honestly, every black person, I don't care how you identify, every black person needs to read this. Um, but I think it's especially important for black women to read this. Trisha's a mother, was a student, um, you know, grew up in a big family with two hustling parents, like so many things resonate around us doing the most because we're expected to do the most and we're expected to do it alone. And what does it actually mean for us to stop and say, yeah, I'm going to lay down and not in a. Not in a, yeah, I'm just going to take this five minute power nap so I can produce more, but like, I'm just going to lay my ass down because that's what I deserve and that's what my body needs. Um, mm-hmm. And how that traces back to being enslaved, to having ancestors who had 20 hour days in the blazing heat being whipped and dragged around. Like, what does it mean for us to continue to do that to ourselves when they work so hard for us to be free? You know? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, anyway, I, that was a little bit of a tangent, but there's so much brilliance in that idea of like, especially for black women and femmes that we need to be softer. And part of that softness is resting. Part of that softness is not trying to be superhuman, is not trying to be hustling, is not trying to be, you know, the breadwinner, 
the the nurturer, the get a man, the take care of a man, to be, you know, the sexual diva while being the nun, while being this, while it's too much, too much. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> too much. And no, for who? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't really know. I think too, it's like um, there's. And I think it kind of draws us back to that word performance. I think whenever I think about like this article and I think about myself and I think about like, you know, black femmes and women in general, it's like this, there's this constant performance that we exist in, Mm -hmm. this constant masking that we're doing. And I think slowly, like throughout the years, just one by one, I've been dropping each mask and it's such a um, visceral experience, an anxiety-inducing experience each and every time mm-hmm. I drop one because it's kind of like, okay, like who is now going to be removed from my community or like what am I going to be shown n- from the world now that I've dropped each mask, you know? Mm-hmm. Like what am I going to be further separating myself from? And mm-hmm. I think you know, getting rid of, for for me at least, um, when I was in doing my master's program, creating art around blackness and femininity, dropping the mask of like, oh, this is how I perform womanhood. Um, that was very much a relief to me, realizing that I'm not a woman in the same way that like the girls that I grew up with are women you know, mm-hmm. realizing that there is, um, I guess, you know, a level of queerness in being a Black woman in general. Um, I know that's very, like, triggering to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> the way <laughs> the way I got so nervous saying that. Um, but it's true. There's a lot of queerness involved in being a Black woman mm-hmm. in general. Um, and just kind of accepting that has been such a relief to me that it's easy to see like where um, I don't have to do the performance anymore. And then that's a part of the rest, right? It's like, I, I'm no longer mm-hmm. like standing up on the block, you know, trying to pose in a certain way to fit like in like with the rest of them. Oh my gosh. Yes, I love that. I mean, because the root root of the word queerness is just like, it means you're strange. It means you don't fit in. Something about you is off, which is why it's a reclaimed word for people who are under the umbrella of LGBTQIA+, right? Like, that's why that's a reclaimed word, because it was made to say, it, it was made to make you feel ostracized, like you don't belong in the in the normal like the mainstream, whatever normal is, uh, however the masters of words are defining things, right? So it is a queer experience to be Black in the sense that we do not fit into whatever the mainstream options are. And then as our intersections expand, we become more and more queer. And I just really want to highlight what you said around you unmasking one by one. Because I think that's also so important about rest because you're taking your time to unpeel, like to peel back the layers. And I think mm-hmm. even in our healing process, we can bring that toxic energy of hustle of like, oh, I got to get it all done now. I got to be yes. the, fl- the flyest, the highest, the whatever right now. 
And healing is not about that. And when we rush our healing process, we know because the universe is going to tell us we didn't take our time with it. We're going to get that lesson right back again because we're not taking our time yeah. pulling back those layers. Um, so I love that you said you did things one by one and like started to also recognize that your healing process is also a grieving one because you are going to lose because the people who were attached to who you were pretending mm-hmm. to be don't want anything to do with the person that you are because you're not, you didn't actually have a relationship with those people. Whatever that identity was had a relationship with those people. So it makes sense that you would lose them, but it's also important for black people to grieve for people who are healing to grieve because, you know, we also have a tendency to, it is what it is ourselves. Right. And to pretend that it doesn't hurt us when we lose these huge chunks of community, when we grieve ourselves, like if you've been the same person for the last 25 years and then you realize you're 26, like, Oh snap, I've been pretending. That's a big grief, right? That's a huge grief. Like you are a stranger to yourself. You're disappointed in yourself. You're surprised. You're lost. And like, it's important for you to be sad. That's a part of the softness too. And I feel like black people, especially black women and femmes, like we're not really given permission to be sad. We're not given permission to cry, to sit and be wounded. It's always like on to the next or I don't care like anyway or whatever, like go ahead and leave if you want to leave. And it's like, Standing on business, as the girlies like to say these days. (laughs) Standing on business is still sad. Like, it's okay. You can stand on business and grab a Kleenex. Like, you can do it. (laughs) You can cry about it because it's hard. You're going to lose family. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose partners. For some of us, we're going to lose our jobs and our financial stability. We're going to lose our path on life. We're going to lose whole identities that have kept us safe. with the relatively low amount of safety that we have already as black people losing those things that we thought were safe and secure for us are devastating and so like don't forget to grieve in this process don't forget to acknowledge what it means for you to lose that group of friends or that family or that job or that identity sit with it and really nurture it and let it be a companion for you as you heal and go on to the next thing Cause that's super important too. So I love that you mentioned all of that and what you said, like it's so well-rounded and, and thoughtful. Oh. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you, I feel like every time we talk, I feel like just like opened up, but also, <laughs> and, and this kind of brings me to like my next question for you um, mm-hmm. is about like, community i've realized in the past you know couple years as i've been unmasking but then weirdly unmasking has opened me up to like more people that i desire community from like you know more just black people in general i've been becoming more connected with you know growing up Mm -hmm. in a predominantly white area there's like there's like two of us you know but like (laughs) luckily just like with like (laughs) like, that is not an exaggeration I was like at one point like my dad was like oh you know growing up he's like you know I don't want you to be marrying these like west coast guys you know if you're gonna marry like you know someone who's like outside of your race at least you know have them be on the east coast you know but if they're on the west coast like make sure they're black or whatever and I'm like dad all five black people who are in Arizona are in this house (laughs) who do you want me to marry (laughs) 
<laughs> Pick a third cousin, because that's like, those are my yeah. options. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. we ain't got anybody out here. But I think like <laughs> through like you know social media stuff like that, I've been getting like so much connection with other like Black femmes and it's been so beautiful. And so I'm kind of wondering for you, like after you left that toxic work environment, you know, started traveling, expanding your horizons, like how have you built community? And like, do you feel nurtured by your community in comparison to back then? Mm, Well, I think for me, I had to really accept that my community was going to be much smaller, right? my community was going to be much smaller in the sense of like, it, they were going to be curated. They were going to be like thoughtful and rich and deep. And we live in a space where that is very rare. <laughs> so the first thing I had to really accept was that I wasn't going to get, I was going to notice a bunch of people, but I wasn't necessarily going to connect with a bunch of people, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that that's a hard time period for people when they reach that point in their identities where they've unmasked and they're like oh wow look at all these different people that I didn't even think about before and you have that exciting period where you're going around and then it's almost like dating like when you're in your casual dating hoeing era it's like you got options for days because you're not thinking that deep about it but when you get to a point where you're like oh I actually want like steady solid people that is going to dwindle down, right? Um, so building communities for me has been such an intentional process. And I've also had to expand on what it meant to be close, what it meant to have depth in a relationship. Because I think a lot of, I'll, I'll use the I statement, when I was like not as intentional with my relationships, most of them were just the ones that were convenient, right? Like the people who were around me, the people that I grew up with, the people that were in school or at work, like, and I wasn't thinking about it and I never made, had to make an effort to find those people because they were just there. Um, and afterwards I realized that my environment had to change in a lot of spaces. And if my environment couldn't change, my relationship to those people had to change. I think it was Jay Shetty. I, 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 sometimes I hate to be quoting Jay Shetty. I don't know why, but uh, I think Jay Shetty <laughs> said something about <laughs> like whoever you decide to be in a relationship with, you have to be clear about what they're there for, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. I would when I got out of that space where I was masking, I had to realize I couldn't throw the word friend around. And I feel like a lot of people still throw the word friend around because they just have, we've been taught that anybody who's remotely nice to you is a friend. And um, I had to start getting stingy with that word. You feel me? So I had to be like, is this a friend or is this an acquaintance? Is this somebody I'm just vibing with or is this a friend? And those are different things. And so I, I feel like community for me has enriched my ability to maintain relationships at different stages. Um, and to be more, um, to have like a better filtering about what I wanted from people and also have better boundaries around closeness so that I'm not just inviting everybody into my space and my energy sphere, but I'm also not closing myself off in fear of being hurt or not receiving a reciprocal energy, right? 
Um, Mm -hmm. So that's made the relationships that I have in the community around me so much better because I really enjoy the people that I feel close to. I really can put down every single mask and show up as myself. And I also can still enjoy the people who I may not be close to on every level, but I can vibe with in the spaces that I need to vibe with them for. And I don't, I'm not resentful that they can't meet me at every level of, of myself, if that makes sense. You know, so it's like, I'm not being fake and trying to pretend I have deep relationships with people, but I'm also not missing out on relationships because that person can't meet every part of my depth, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I feel much more control of who I'm bringing in. That was long. That's so much. No, it was great. And it's like so much intentional work that you have to do in order to do that. Like so much inner work that you have to do. And mm. I compl- I think I'm just starting that process now. Like people think I'm crazy when I'm like, I don't just go around calling people my friends. Like, mm. And I think, you know, the more I get like more out there and like more social and like, you know, meeting different people, I think a lot of people classify friendships as like, you've hung out with this person outside of the place that you met them three to four times. Now you're friends. And I'm like, that is not the meaning to me i and when i tell you when i call people my friends and i have to get out of this habit sometimes i think it can work against me but when i call people my friends i'm saying that i am going to be connected to you for the rest of my life i you Mm. are my friend you're my friend for life this has meaning (laughs) okay i had someone call me their best friend one time and i had this like what are you talking about (laughs) reaction because that has like meaning no I was you just made me think about like how people just don't have conversations like they just imposed like you I can't just be your best friend you we have to agree that we're best friends you can't just give me that title (laughs) it has to be like a mutual feeling and I think and I think it relates to because I was gonna say that like um like the whole emotional boundary thing like you saying that I'm your best friend you're you're trying you're crossing an emotional boundary of like I can't provide what a best friend in my mind provides to you and I know you can't Mm -hmm. provide that to me as well so why are we using these labels incorrectly (laughs) is that awful I don't know if that's awful it's it's that you see but this is the thing right because I feel like I love that you said people look at me like I'm crazy because honest to goodness when people start thinking, when people outside of you think that you're nuts for being like, just telling the truth, like being aligned with what you're saying, you're on the right path. When people really, one of, one of my friends mentioned this, this was specific to their artwork, but they had said something like, if everybody likes your art, your art is not doing it. Like you have to have controversial art. And I think that you also have to have controversial values. And I don't mean in some Trumpy way. I mean, in a way where you challenge people's notions around relationships, communication, boundaries, these titles, like do not give into the social nicety of like awkwardly sitting there, letting someone call you their best friend. Like, and then you going with it and be like, okay, I guess we're best friends. Like, no, like if that person don't lie, like you said, you don't sound nuts to me. You sound clear. <laughs> You know, and I would appreciate that True. directness. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like so 
so weird too. And then I could get you into some real funny stuff. If you're at, if you're out and about, you don't know nothing about this person, but this person has claimed you as their best friend. And so you're living your life and then you meet one of your best friend's enemy. And all of a sudden you're in some beef with this person who's not really your best friend. And this random person that you met that you thought was cool. It's like middle right. school. I can't do that. Oh my God. It's so middle school. And you know what? It's funny because I think I'm seeing more conversations around uplifting platonic relationships, but I think people don't think this critically about their platonic relationships. Romantically, it's much clearer for people. Like you wouldn't go around being like, well, some people do. Let me take that back. Some people do do this, but (laughs) you would be less inclined to be like, that's my boyfriend or that's my partner before you would have a conversation about titles. But people don't give that same care to their platonic relationships because they don't value them on the same level. Like society doesn't uplift it in the same way. Um, so I really appreciate the conversations around like uplifting and giving the same nurturing care and attention to your platonic relationships, because it's the same thing. Like getting, meeting friends is the same thing as dating. Like you have to have standards, you have to have boundaries. You have to have these, you know, uncomfortable conversations you have to have conflict resolution. Like there are things that go into it that make you want to commit to this relationship with this person in order to have a healthy friendship. It's the same thing, even with your family, like you have to have standards. And I think that we have to alleviate this, like, I'm not alleviate, but we have to uh, let go of and resist this instinct to just like uh, take on titles or, not question it because that's your friend or that's your family or whatever it is. So I mean, like I said, I love yeah. it. I'm I'm happy to hear that you're doing that for yourself and you're recognizing when people are crossing over your emotional boundaries and saying, no, I'm not gonna, that's not for me. That's a big thing. And that's something that some people don't do for their whole lives. So like applause to you because yeah. it took me, it took me a oh, while. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, friend. It took me a while too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still like, ooh, and it feels icky, like you know. But I found a black family therapist out here, and she's Period. awesome. And I will drive <laughs> the hour and a half to go see her because she has ooh. done wonders. <laughs> hmm. There is nothing like finding a black therapist. Like oh we God. need more, y'all, yes. for real. It's such a it's such a fine. I just got my black therapist. I just got my black therapist and she's a vibe. Really? Yeah, she's black, she's fat, like, and I just love because that's the other layer about womanhood is the fatness. As a fat person, or even when we have intersections of colorism and things like that that play into what is seen as feminine and what is not, what is seen as woman and what is not. And I'm so grateful, like we talked about our boudoir experience uh, a little bit, but part of that experience for me, I'm really grateful for because I met so many femme fat people who were embodying their fatness and their womanhood or femininity. Um, And womanhood and femininity are separate for me, by the way, I know I'm using them a lot and it sounds interchangeably, but they're separate in my mind, but People, you, people being able to stand in their womanhood and stand in their femininity, irregardless of having a fat body, because I grew up fat. And like, let's all be very clear that fat is super subjective sometimes, depending on where you are in society. 
yes there is an actual fat and like yes the bopo movement did wonders in confusing that for people but <laughs> there are some cultural experiences where you're fat once you're over a size two you know and then there are some cultural experiences where you're yeah. fat because you have a big butt or thick thighs or whatever it is right so whatever like your body doesn't fit whatever stereotype is seen as desirable or what have you but when we talk about the realities of fat bodies and we talk about fat phobia and we talk about the violence and discrimination even you know shape wise right especially in the black community you can be fat if your body is shaped the right way if your fat is mostly boobs and ass and hips then people really don't mind you're curvy right you're thick but if you're fat in a way that people feel is undesirable if your fat is not placed in the right way then they're not going to treat you right and i think a lot of my childhood i grew up opposite i grew up around a lot of black people but me having darker skin and me being fat caused a lot of issues around how people were perceiving me as a girl as feminine as a woman as desirable and I was treated very differently because of that um and then having siblings who had different body shapes I had one super thin sister and then I had a curvy hourglass sister and then I was the fat person who was fat in the wrong way I saw the way people treated us differently based on how our bodies were shaped or the total, we were all a different gradient of skin tone. And like, you know, we all had different experiences. Some of us were being treated better than the other, depending on, on what it was. So there's also that aspect that I think we have to consider when we're talking about our connection, because that also impacted my friendships. Cause when I unmasked around my fatness, um, which I didn't even realize was a whole mess, like, to be honest with you, until I started yeah. unmasking around it. And so for me, my experience was I was with Black women who were also fat in some capacity, but they all hated being fat. And so the connection was that we were all hating ourselves being fat. And so we were actively trying to lose weight. And I developed an eating disorder and the moment that I decided, okay, I'm not going to partake in diet culture, I lost a lot of friends because our connection was based on who's going to the gym, who's dieting, who's going to fit in this thing, operation, no gut, more butt type of stuff, which... Oh my gosh. Yeah, but that was the culture. That was the identity yeah. of like, hey, we don't want to have bellies, but we want fat asses. And so we're going to do whatever it takes for us to lose this weight. And when I was not engaging in that anymore, when I was like, mm, I actually don't hate myself for being fat. I hate how people treat me for being fat. Or I want to work out, but I just want to move my body because it feels good to move. I was given the, you're crazy, you're strange, you're weird. And also people projecting that as you're judging me for wanting to lose weight. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. You can do whatever you want. But yeah. I'm not going to starve myself and move my body in a way that's harmful. So that was also a mask that was surprising in the way that people treated me afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other level within the Black community that I don't think we talk about enough of fatness and, and shape and colorism um, in so many ways, shape and forms, you know? Yeah. 
And then it makes me, you sharing that makes me think about like how many connections people form based off of their self-hatred, you know, like that's, that's the divine, defining aspects of the friendship. It's just like, I'm hanging around these group of people because, you know, I also hate myself. Mm -hmm. Or people bring you around them so they feel better about themselves. Because that's another thing, child. When people, especially when they, and that's why people get mad. I'm not going to get all deep into it, but even the boudoir experience, that was a lot of it. Was people wanting you around because they felt like you made them look elevated in some way. And then when they realized that you didn't hate yourself, that you actually had confidence, they were like, oh no, like you you feel good about who you are? Oh, I don't want that around me. <laughs> Because I want somebody who I can walk all over or I want somebody who is going to envy me in some way, shape or form. And growing up, it was so obvious. Like, unfortunately, I knew a lot of girls who were larger or darker skin and they will always try to be around the thinner, light skin people who were popular because they were thin and light skin. And they would be like, uh, you know, the duff, right? They would be the best friend, sidekick energy. And I also spent some time being like the sidekick friend who, you know, all we would go out to the club and all the guys were talking to the two, these two girls, but they weren't talking to the rest of us because we didn't fit whatever standard um, mm-hmm. that they had in mind. And I think a lot of people are in relationships like that. A lot of friendships like that dynamics where they feel like I'm the ugly friend or I'm the unattractive friend and I'm going to hang around this pretty person and that pretty person keeps you around because you make them feel or look better than whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's all very weird. It's all so strange. And it makes me think like when I was growing up, like a lot of the black boys, they would hang around these like white boys and like, they would just like, it was so sad. And even when I was younger, I thought it was so sad. But mm-hmm. like they would, you know, basically shit on the black girls, say stuff about us, and then they would allow their friends to call them the N-word. Like it was just so crazy. Just like allowed oh, themselves to be weird. demeaned in order to be like closer to whiteness and like mm. you know, being able to like elevate in that way and then they would have to like reject us on the side in order to you know it's it's some strange psychology i i don't and i guess that is is a hard that that must be the most hard mask and the most like intense mask to release is that one where you're like i'm gonna lose friends because i decided that i no longer hated myself Yes. Like, and then it's like, then you're, then you're again mourning because it's like, oh, these people only liked me because I hated myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard hitter. It is a hard hitter. Damn. And many of us have not had that conversation with ourselves. People love when you are down. And it's because it makes them feel higher up. It's not necessarily because they like to see you suffer, but it because it helps them suffer less. And we have to really be honest mm. about who we're around, why they keep us around. And also we may be choosing to be around those people because they are evidence that the stories that we've been telling ourselves are true, right? Like sometimes we want to stay small because that keeps us feeling safe 
And so like the challenge is to find people who believe in you, find people who uplift you, find people who look at you and know that you're beautiful and talented and brilliant and hold you to a high standard because a lot of the times that's the challenge we don't want to accept. We don't want to know how great we are. Like we're often afraid of that. And it's like, you have to be around yes. people who honor your capacity for greatness and not be around people who appreciate you being small, you know, and that's, that's a self challenge. We can't control how people perceive us, but we can control who we allow around us. Right. So I think that's kind of one of the, mm-hmm. the biggest takeaways from my unmasking process that I've had. You just dropped a word. <laughs> but you're doing it like you know i'm not saying anything that you haven't done that other people haven't done like you're doing it or you want to do it it's just uncomfortable Mm -hmm. you know you just have to move yeah Yeah, there's no growth without discomfort we already know that Mm -hmm. unfortunately if if (laughs) there was we would all be growing super fast right be a right right just world Mm. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I still, I'm hopeful. I'm still hoping. I'm still hopeful. I'm, a hopeful girl. I'm, in, I'm, I'm in my my pleasure era and my hopeful girl era. <laughs> I believe in us. Oh, I love that. Mm. I love that. I'm very much in the lover girl without <laughs> the love part. I don't know. Uh, no. Goodbye. <laughs> We're in a good vibe era. And also, I mean, love is everywhere. Love is not partnership. It is. It's everywhere. No, I just chose that I'm going to be in love with everybody. I'm like, mm. I think that's the fun part about being a lover girl is that like, I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make, because I do zines and stuff like that. So I was I like, it. I'm going to make a zine of like every time I have a moment where I fall in love with like, somebody you know because I'll, I'll have these moments where I'm like looking at like my friend and I'm like looking in their eyes and I'm like wow they're so beautiful and I just I'm just so just I love them and they're so precious and so I'm gonna write down every moment that happens and I want to see how big this zine's gonna get by the end of the year <laughs> I'm just gonna fall in love with them so I'll, yes, I'll update you also, how it goes and don't forget to include yourself on that list please and thank you Oh, right yes. down all the moments you fall in love with yourself. When you catch that glimpse in the mirror, you be like, mm, it's me. I'm the one. Yes. <laughs> hey, girl. Yes. Right. We have those days. I'll include myself. I'll be like, hey. It happens more forward. often than you think because of my Leo rising. I'm like a little bit, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it. My Venus is in Leo. It's a tragedy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, dramatic. I need it all. I need it all. Yes. That's the best placement to have a Leo. <laughs> I know. My Capricorn moon, though. Oh my gosh. Keeps me in line. <laughs> keeps, me, keeps me in line. Yeah, no. Humbles my me. My Venus. Is Pisces, my moon is Pisces, Mars is Pisces, (laughs) my sun is Pisces, and then my rising is Leo. (laughs) Oh my god! You literally give us smoke signals. All I want is my fire, baby. Ooh, help! Help! (laughs) 
Oh my god, this explains everything. I don't need to know any other reason what? other than that. But... What? What does it explain? I feel like you're about to fillet <laughs> me right now. What you... I'm gonna fillet you. You just, uh, you just being a watery hoe. You just out here in your feelings. <laughs> Okay, and your feelings about everything. You're in your feelings about your direction of life. You're in your feelings about your heart space. Like your feelings, your feelings are your feelings. But that's powerful. That's beautiful. You got to be a soft girl. Okay, you got no choice. You said, let me be in my feelings and also validate all of them. I love it. I love it. You that said, I'm going to have 80 feelings and it's all to be validated. Thank you. <laughs> it's, perfect. it's perfect. I mean, I you're not it. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being my first guest of season two. <gasps> so exciting. You're number one of season two. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting off it. season two really right in terms of the guests. Um, so for you, are, do you have any projects going on? Anything that you want to celebrate, share, want to promote here? The space is yours. Um, I don't have any projects going on. Like I said, this is my year of pleasure. And that has been a year of that is going to be and continue to be a year of me prioritizing this renaissance that I'm in, not to be quoting another Virgo queen bee, but like, I mean, controversial at best, but still, uh, what I mean to say is that I am focusing on doing the things that I had limitations around this year that I put limits on myself around saying I couldn't, I wouldn't, I outgrew, I'm too old, whatever nonsense of the narratives I've had in my head. And so I'm building up my hobbies. I don't know what it is. I'm in my 30s now. I'm a 30s girly. And the the, the girlies in their 30s, like, we already know. Y'all already know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is a revival period. I feel like I spent so much of my 20s being lost and hustling and working and grinding and being caught up in other people's perceptions of me and my 30s feel like I'm youthful again in so many ways um and I am young but like it just feels so much younger and I feel so playful and so I'm still gonna travel but I'm gonna be you know centering pleasure in, in the erotic centering pleasure in body movement centering pleasure in creativity and taking creative risk um so I don't have anything hard deadline set on purpose, um, but I am I might be a completely different person in three months. I don't know. I'm leaving the door open, baby. I'm leaving it wide open. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I also love that you're one of those people that make me excited about being in my 30s. Every time I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to be 30. People are like, eh, why? I'm like, no, I feel like there's so much beauty in your 30s to have. So I'm there glad is. that you just validated that for me. <laughs> it's true. And to be honest, Tracy Ellis Ross. Okay, let me talk about Tracy Ellis Ross real quick. I always refer yes. to Tracy Ellis Ross. But my 50s, baby, 
universe willing to get me there because time is not guaranteed as they say universe willing if i get to my 50s y'all go prepare to be sick of me okay prepare to be sick of me (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's gonna be like mm, the fruits of my labor era like the labor of loving myself the labor of being in this capitalistic system like I cannot wait to be so deeply, deeply, deeply restful on every layer. I'm getting more and more restful with every year and it feels so good. And I'm looking forward to fully resting, fully being embodied in restfulness. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. Is there anywhere people can find you? Ooh, I used to be all over the interwebs, but I don't be out here like that. Um, I have a TikTok. If y'all want to be on there, it's organic underscore weirdo. Because I said what I said. Everything's spelled the right way. Organic underscore. That's when the dash is on the line, y'all. Underscore weirdo. <laughs> and y'all can be on that TikTok. I'll be on there. I don't really post like that, but I got a lot of followers, I guess. So y'all can be there. Cool. I was like, what happened to their Instagram? Yeah, I I still have an Instagram, but I I got literally one post. I just be on there just looking at my my nephew and niece. I don't be doing nothing on the internet anymore. I had to get off the internet in a lot of ways because it was just a lot. Had to read more books. I had to be minding my business. Yeah. 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 I need to get I also need to get off the internet, but then I started this podcast and now I'm chronically online. (laughs) to be honest i just oh but it's fine i I love the viewers so i do it for them (laughs) exactly we do it for you okay we do it for you you. (laughs) i'm on the tiktok my instagram is private and i don't really post on there so tiktok is probably the best place probably the most active that i i'll be on and obviously y'all can find me through this podcast i'll be here if you want to reach me Yes. Up our beautiful, talented yes. host. Okay. Awesome. You're gonna make me kidnap mm. you again for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Round two, kidnap edition. Like, We're here for it. Like Mare's back by force. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. This time I showed up in their house. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're more than welcome to. Hey, eh? I mean Virginia don't be popping like that, but you can come down if you want to. Like- I know you're gonna have to tell me the next place you're going. I need to get out of Arizona. You do, you do. It's an <laughs> island, girl. It's an it, island. Yeah, it might as well be. Mm-hmm. Might as well and a draw one at that. Look, the Ooh. only thing that oh, <laughs> the only thing that has saved me is the Latin social dancing scene. Okay, that is the here. the most flavor we're gonna Take get this- down here. I know. That's the most flavor you're going to get. Listen, if I end up in Chi-Town, you definitely got to come up. I wish I could end up in New York, but it's giving rats. It's giving rental. It's giving giving too much, personally. New York is New York is not my favorite. I don't like the buildings being the biggest thing around me, and I don't like that it feels dank all the time. It feels oh like it's my- a moisture... It really is just a giant sewer. Like, I, I just wish people would admit yeah. that. New York is a sewer with, like, mink coats and rats. Ex- 
Look, all the New York is about to come in. Exactly. You don't know nothing about New York. Yeah, they all come in. <laughs> and New York. They're going to fight us. Listen, <laughs> there's great things in New York, but I just... The trash on the, on the whole trash system, I can't do. There's the big rats. <laughs> I can't do rats. And I can't do rats for $4,000 a month. I'll pass. Yeah. Okay. Also, if I wanted to ride a bike, I'd have to ride in the street with all them crazy drivers. I'm not doing that. Mm. You're going to get clipped, too. I know. There's no way you're not dying while <laughs> bike down there. There are, so you know, a thousand ways to die in New York. That should be the next. That should be the next. Too many ways. Gets, there's too many ways to die in New York. Yeah. I, I'll take my I'll take my time. But I mean, I feel like that's every U.S. city. I say that as a siren goes by, but <laughs> there's also like I, mean, I feel like New York's too much of a target. Like you know, Arizona. Like no one's gonna be like, oh yeah, let's go attack Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. The, the rest of the United States would be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they literally unaffected. <laughs> Don't care. Like uh like random Arizona of all places. We got you. Yeah. Maybe the aliens, perhaps. That's what you're getting. Yeah, they're like, Maybe oh my god, the Grand Canyon. It's like it's already uh, a canyon. We don't care. They don't care. Just a bunch of rocks. It's fine. <laughs> they're all right. I know. And I feel that way. Live there? Things. Yes. Ah! The five black <laughs> people in my family. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all that there is in Arizona. I feel good about it. Yeah. Sorry, New York. We didn't mean the end. Sorry, New York. Sorry. Oof. I mean, I meant every word of it, but it's fine. Correct. But I'm sorry <laughs> if you're offended. Um, so long, everyone. I totally forgot to film the outro uh, while interviewing with Merritt because we just started to talk about really random things. Um, so sorry about that. <laughs> I will see you guys next time. So long, everyone, and thank you so much for being here with me today. If you want to keep up with All That Girl Reads, make sure to follow us over on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Remember, read what you love and DNF the rest. I'll see you next time. Bye!